1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy. I've now been in Jonesboro a little over five years living here. Been here many times, but five years living here. And I've learned some things I absolutely do not like about this, uh, this city. First one, trains. I appreciate they're now building overpasses just to get around trains, okay? But, but, but the thing is, you know, I'm rushing to get here for the early service, that unholy hour of worship on Sunday morning. And every t- nearly every time, here comes a train. But that's not the worst part. I can understand. I can wait. It's when they stop on the track. How many of you have been somewhere, and you get there, and they're stopped? How many? I'm, does that, is that not illegal or something? If I come up with a petition, would you be willing to sign it, that they shouldn't be allowed to do that? I've thought about having like a stick of dynamite in the back of my truck and just blow up one little, little thing here. They stop on the track. I don't understand that. So trains, but I'll tell you this too. Kenna, Missouri had a bunch of train tracks. They took them all up. They bypassed them, and it's shrinking to nothing. You want the trains here. So whatever the annoyance, you want the trains here. They just shouldn't stop on the track. Second one, traffic on Red Wolf. That has to be, there are certain times on that main or, or, or stadium, either one, it just, it's like, it, it will make you lose your religion on Red Wolf, right? It will just make you go insane. Now, as you live here, you start to learn when not to be there and what other options you have. And so I've learned that you can get around that some, but sometimes you can't avoid it at all. Traffic is nuts. Number three, traffic lights. And it seems like every week they're putting another one in. I remember growing up and, I, and then moving to Kennett and going back home to Fredertown. We had to go through Poplar Bluff. Light after light after light. And you never made them. You got stopped at every one of them. I thought, I can't stand it. I can't stand Poplar Bluff. I'll never live in a place like that. Then I get near Paragould and they're about the same way. And now Jonesboro's becoming this way. Traffic lights. This one up here is the one from Satan. The closest to our building. It's got a little signal that's built into my truck that when I come, it goes red. It doesn't matter what's going on. It's one o'clock in the morning coming back from Harding for some reason, and it stops me, and there's nobody anywhere. Everybody's asleep, and I'm stopped at a red light, and I'm looking at like, this is from Satan. This is evil, right? What I will do now, I don't, I don't say things I shouldn't, but I will honk the horn as a complaint to the maker of the light. Now, he doesn't hear it. He doesn't care, but it just makes me feel better. So, right? And I'll just sit there, and everybody around me is like, why are you honking? I'm not mad. I'm not raising a fist. I'm just protesting quietly with a horn. I don't, traffic lights. But here's what I know. You, you look at any one of them, and they don't, nobody, even the founding fathers and even the people who are the engineers and architects of our, our community, they don't like putting lights in either. No one likes the lights. It's an equal opportunity offender. Nobody likes them. And the only reason they need to put one in is because for us to be a community of a bunch of people having some kind of order and safety, there are places where we simply have to stop and let others go. And that protects our safety. It allows us to have order. It allows everything to flow with a sense of peace. There has to be these stoplights in different places. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy, I'm putting you in Ephesus so that you can put some stoplights in. 
There's things going on at the church that just shouldn't happen, and they're dangerous. It's dangerous and needs to be stopped. And so, Timothy, what I want you to do is I want you to go down there. Ephesus is this very significant location. Everything about success is location, 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 and Ephesus is perfect. That's why Paul invested three years of his life in Ephesus, and he described it as, I went from house to house, and I got involved in people's lives, and I shared the word with them because false doctrine was so prevalent in Ephesus. It seems like that just constantly there was false teaching going on, and he had to, he had to ramp up the truth, and he had to stop that. He told the... He told the uh, Elders, when he was leaving for the last time, you guys have got to hang in there. You've got to teach the truth. You've got to center it in the Word of God, the whole counsel of God, because false teaching is everywhere. And now, and now it's so strong that he says, Timothy, you need to break up from our team, and you need to go back to Ephesus, and you need to stay there for a while. The urgency is clear. I want you to see it. Timothy, I urge you to stay in Ephesus. Timothy did not want to go there. Timothy wanted to stay with Paul. Paul wanted Timothy to stay with him, but he saw the vulnerability of the Ephesus church with all that false teaching, and he said, we've got to break up this team for a while, and you've got to get back. I'm urging you, Timothy, to go back. Timothy didn't want to, but here's an apostle urging him. Now, keep in mind, this is the same guy who, for the sake of convenience, was willing to be circumcised to teach the truth. No qualms about that, but he had to be urged by the apostle to go here. This was not something Timothy wanted. Secondly, Paul says, by the way, this command doesn't come from me. You look up at verse 1 of 1 Timothy 1. This command comes from God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God needs someone to help the Ephesian church, and it's you. And I'm urging you to go. And then third, I'm urging you to go to command certain people not to teach falsely. This word command or charge is the strongest prohibition term you can use. I am telling you, you go up and you, you demand that they stop this teaching. It's obviously going on in the church. But he says to Timothy, you've got to go and you've got to put some stop signs up. That's why you're going. What's he trying to stop? What's the big deal? Well, notice what he says. I urged you, verse 3, when I was going to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you can charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. That's interesting, different doctrines. They are teaching different from what? This word is hetero, didascalia, different teaching. There's the teaching that I gave you. There's the teaching Jesus gave me. There's the teaching in the Word of God. And then there's different teaching. It doesn't accord with the Word and what you've always heard. And when it's different like this, it's dangerous. He says in chapter 6, as you look ahead a little bit, it says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with doc, doc, uh, doc, godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. There's a lot of people that come puffed up, and I'm not, I'm not content with what we've always heard. I'm not content with what's always been taught. I want to teach something new. I want to I wanna do something novel. I want, I want to be known as somebody with the new ideas. You know, news can't be news if it's not new. You ever know that? 
It's got to be something new and different. And people, human beings, have this craving for something a little different. I want something a little new, something out of the ordinary, something revolution. I want to hear something new. Human beings have this craving for this. And Paul says to Timothy, there's some different doctrine going on there. They're teaching something different from what I taught you, from what you've heard from growing up. And so we, we have this understanding that human beings do crave this. Conspiracy theories are something human beings love to get wrapped up in. Have you heard any conspiracy theories lately? Some neat stuff about, oh, we're going to make up some details because what's true is boring. Let's put something adventurous to it, something exciting to it, and whip people into a frenzy. I know that never happens around here, right? Never happens on the news. Never happens with all this stuff. Human beings are suckers. They want something new and they'll go for it, right? Because to hear the same thing over and over and over again is dull. It's the norm. It's the average. When it comes to the church, think about how dangerous this is. This thing that we're using this morning this thing that we use and we say we're going to have Bible classes, that the material comes out of this. This thing is over 2,000 years old in this form that I have it, and older even than that in some parts. This thing is 2,000 years. There hasn't been anything new God's added to it since Jesus and the apostles. And that's the book that we, in 2021, are trying to get the world to submit to. And this world says, you want me to abide by instructions given 2,000 years ago despite humans' enlightenment and more advancement? Isn't there an expiration date on this stuff? I want something new. I want something that's the latest. And there's always somebody to offer it. It's difficult sometimes to be content with the same message year after year after year. And so people now are finding compelling reasons why things that have been wrong from Scripture for years are now okay. There are, there are things that are being taught now that what used to be true and very important to the heart of God, now he's kind of like, eh, take it or leave it. But there's another word that helps with this. And I think what it tells us is it's not just that the teaching's different, it's what they look to to find the teaching that's different. They look to myths and endless genealogies. They look at family trees. They look at the genealogy list and look at the lives of the characters in those lists and they say their name to be in the list approves of everything they did and so this is gonna be how we teach. And they, they look at these things called legends and folklore, right? They look at these things that have been around the culture for years that people used to say is how these things originated. And instead of submitting to clear scripture, we're going to look at one of these old stories from the comparative literature around Israel. And we're going to look at that and say, that must be where it came from. And this is older than scripture. So let's go with that. And all of a sudden you can't argue it because you don't even know what it is. It's like nailing jello to a wall. You can come up with whatever kind of interpretation you want. People have said anything about Scripture. There's all sorts of weird secondary il illustrations and interpretations, and it's impossible to know what they all are. Here's what he says about it. 
you can go into all that speculation stuff and that endless talk about what this could possibly mean, or you can settle with the stewardship of God's will. Do you notice that in verse 4? I'll give you a little bit of a Greek lesson here. People promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The Greek word, how many remember what last week's sermon was about? Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. I, I'm not going to ask you so it doesn't matter. Lie to me. Raise your hand. Okay, good. It was about, I've written these things to you so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God from chapter 3. Household of God, that's the church. This is how you need to behave in the church. The word for household is oikos. That's the Greek word for that house. This word for stewardship is oikonomia, which joins oikos house with nomos law. This is the law that governs behavior in the house. You can choose speculation. Go to fables, go to genealogies, and just make up your stuff along the way. Or you can consult God's household instruction clearly by faith in Scripture. That's the choice you have. Now, imagine God saying, I'm going to set up a church, I'm going to let human beings decide what they want to do and just let them go with it. How long would that have lasted? God instead says, I'm setting up my household on earth, I'm going to put human beings over it, but I'm going to also give them the instructions for how this household is to operate, this order, this plan of mine. And that's what Scripture is. Now imagine this, God sets up his house, I want it run this way, I want to teach this, I want this structured this way, and then a bunch of people come in and say, oh, let's just do whatever we want. What should you do? If you want God's household to be available for centuries until the Lord comes back, you're going to have to protect God's instruction and not let this other stuff come in and alter what we do. Not because we're trying to control everything, but because we're trying to honor God. We don't go for speculation. We go for God's instruction, God's way of doing things. We need to stop some stuff in our lives. We need to put a stop sign up because it could be dangerous. Here's one reason. If you don't put up the stop sign, there's going to be chaos and confusion rather than order. God says, I've got my order. I've got my stewardship. I've got my plan for you. I've got my will for you, and I've made it known as you enter the household of God. Here's what I'm wanting from you and for you, and this is clear in Scripture, but we decide, oh, we don't want that. We want to do with these other things, and so we come up with speculation and random interpretation and all this stuff it leads to chaos and confusion now i want you to notice god comes out at least once you know this very famous passage and says i'm not the god of confusion i'm not the god of chaos do you remember when he says that anybody remember when he says that First of all, you'll see it in creation. Do you know how meticulous God is in ordering everything? Certain days for certain things as he sets up the earth and he, he puts it in a perfect order. God is like structured. He's not just saying, boom, it's all there. No, he puts it here and he puts it here and he puts it here. And then he puts the stuff in that setting in the next three days. It's like he's meticulous. And then when he's got the whole house set up, he puts human beings in it, knowing that it now can maintain those human beings. God's an order of, a God of order in creation. But in 1 Corinthians 14, he comes out and says it. 
When you come together for worship, I want you to do one thing at a time. I don't want everybody speaking at the same time. I don't want everybody praying at the same time. I don't want everybody doing everything at the same time. I don't want you, I want it one at a time, decently and in order, because I'm not a God of confusion. I'm a God of order. He wants that in creation. He wants that in our worship. And he wants that in the way the church is structured and what we teach here. There is an order to what God wants And if we don't honor it and we just let all things go as they want to, let people do whatever they want to, and it doesn't, regardless of what they say or where it leads to, it becomes confusing and chaotic, and that's not God's way. It leads to speculation, he says. Notice in verse 4, these promote, when you go to these other things, these promote controversies and speculations rather than order in God's house. We don't want to be chaotic in a disorder. We want to follow the nature of God. But a second thing I want you to know is verse 5. The aim of our command, the aim of our standing up and stopping some people from false teaching is love. That is fascinating. Hey, we're not doing this because we want to control everything. We're not, we're not doing this because we want to be despotic or because, because I want to be able to have a, a group think. I make everybody think the same thing. We are doing this because we love We have a tendency in our culture to think that love means I accept you no matter what. That love means I'll never correct you. That I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever happens and it doesn't matter. I'm going to be always kind and never stand up and say anything about what uh, uh, boundaries or protections for each other. That's not love at all. That's a laziness. But when we love, you're willing to stand up sometimes. And here's why. I think this means We stand up and stop the false teaching because we love God. Now, here's a fill-in-the-blank question for you. God says, if you love me, you will... Try it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. God says, if you love me, then you're going to respect what I say. You're going to do what I say. What do you say then of a person who not only doesn't do what God commands, but changes what God commands, but blurs what God commands, comes along and teaches something different than what God commands? If loving God means you keep his commandments, then if you don't keep his commandments and you change them, you are not loving God at all. And in fact, you are hating God. You're not doing what he says. We are a people who seek to love God with all our hearts and our minds and our strength. And when we see false doctrine, to think that, oh, that's okay, just go ahead. In God's house, it'd be like me, I guess, taking Melissa out to Chinese on her anniversary. What I know about her is she hates that stuff. And I can say to her, well, there's some like hamburgers on the bar, you know, kind of thing. That just doesn't work. It's like I know her enough to know that loving her means I'm not going to take her to that. Loving God means I'm not going to put up with, in the church, people teaching things that are absolutely contrary to what he says means something to him. There's no way you can do that. But it also means that we love God's church. you got to love the church. And the point of the church is we are a pillar of, and foundation of the truth. 
We are the people where if people really want to know what God thinks, what God says, we protect Scripture enough to say, you can come find out. We're not going to tell you something false. We're not going to tell you our opinion. We're not going to show you social studies that prove different things. We're going to show you God's Word when you come here. That's the very purpose of the church. But if the church suddenly decides... We're going to let people say whatever they want. We're going to get together and decide, well, now we're going to change God's revealed will, and we're going to allow this behavior over here. Suddenly, we're not God's church. We are not protecting his truth. If you love the church, you'll want it to always be a place where people can come and know they'll find the truth. We'll stop false teaching if we love God's people. We are a group of people who've submitted to the teachings of God. And when we submitted to the teachings of God and hearing his word, believing it, doing it by confessing the name of Jesus, we're immersed in the waters of baptism. We rise to walk a new life where we continue to listen to the lordship of Christ and submit to it. We know that we have found eternal life. We know that we have found forgiveness of sins. But if we change the truth you won't find that forgiveness of sins. You won't find that right standing with God. And you'll come to church and you'll feel good about yourself because you think you're doing but you're not, and it doesn't do any good for you. This is why we teach people Bible classes. This is why we have Bible classes from nursery all the way up through junior high and high school. And here's the deal, guys. We need to teach the truth and don't let any falsehood because here's, we know we want our young people saved. We want them in the kingdom of God. We want them right with God. We want them to go into a world of falsehood and be able to tell the difference between what's true and what's false. We want them equipped to live out a life of holiness until they die. We want them to end up in eternity with us and we'll share eternal life with God and that drives everything we do and if there's anything ever that comes into this place that teaches something wrong by God we got to stop it it's too costly it's too important there's too much at stake and we got to love our young people enough to tell them the truth when they hear enough lies from the rest of the world they need to find the truth somewhere and it's not loving to let them go along believing that stuff without a challenge from somewhere. We love God's people. And that's why we stop the false teaching. We love the false teacher. And we love the lost. There are people in the world who are, who are they were, and you'll talk about this in a minute, they were, they were teaching the truth. They were living in, the, they were growing up in a church that taught the truth. And then they swerved, it says. They swerved. They suddenly got distracted by something else. And now it says that they're wandering. These false teachers are now teaching things that are damaging. They're saying this is okay, this is right with God, when it's not. And there are people following them. Now, is it the loving thing to watch somebody who's obviously teaching something wrong, doing something wrong, living wrong, and you just say, well, I don't want to confront, I don't want to be... I, I don't want to cause a stir. I'll just let them do whatever they want. Is that the loving thing? Paul would say, no, it's not. Of all the things elders have to do, this is the absolute worst one. Because what Paul is telling Timothy is, 
You have to stand up among the church people and tell this person what you're teaching is not right and you must stop that. That's called confrontation. Very few of us enjoy confrontation. It takes a certain amount of oomph inside of you. You better be driven by something important because nobody wants to get into those high-tension things and have to defend and have to make an argument. But that is an elder's responsibility in this church to stand up and do that. So when you have a false teacher, a person who suddenly decided that things that are called wrong by God are okay, and you, and you see that happening, you need to try to stop them. And if someone is lost in the world and comes into the, comes into the church building here, right, among us, they need to hear the truth and not just have the total acceptance of whatever you do, however you're thinking, you're fine, you're good. No, you're not. You're not. And I'm not loving you when I'm watching you on the road to hell and I just watch a view like a spectator. There's got to be some kind of effort lovingly to confront that this teaching's not right. What kind of people would we be if we don't? This doesn't mean you go to ASU and do this. It doesn't mean you go to the temples in the town and do this. This is talking about household ethics, what happens in this church under the auspice of this people of God right here. And while you're here, what you need to hear is truth. You'll stop false teaching to avoid chaos. You'll stop false teaching if you love, and you'll stop false teaching to keep people from wandering away. You see that in verse six, this is a strange verse, strange way of describing it. Certain persons, by swerving from these things, have wandered away into vain discussion. Something has got them distracted. They were doing fine, but something has got them distracted, and they jumped onto something that is not correct, and they think it's correct, and they teach it as correct, but it's not. They want to be teachers of the law, it says. They want to be influencers. I want to be an important influencer in this church, but the problem is I'm not submitting to the Word, and I don't even know how to use the commandments of God to determine what I should do, and yet I want to teach. Many people want to. And if they're wandering from the truth and they're heading in the wrong direction, what are they going to do to anybody following them? They're going to be wandering too. I don't want you to ever wonder whether I'm right with God or not. I don't you have to ever wonder if I do something that's taught here, if I really take this and live by it, will I be right with God? I want you to know that you're living right that you're in right standing with God. And so what this church does, and in and, and, and accordance with this passage, is this church kind of vets who teaches here. Not just anybody teaches a Bible class. It's not anybody who breathes can teach. No. We've got to know that you know it. We've got to know that you are an embodiment of it. Don't stand before a class and tell them the way of God when you're blatantly not living it yourself. This is a tough process. But people who teach need to know what they're talking about and need to show that they're living what they're talking about. And, that, and, and the people who preach, not just anybody fills this pulpit, y'all. y'all. Not, when I, I'll be gone, so the, the elders are like, man, it's like surgery trying to figure out who do you trust to do this, right? Because we want to make sure, and they're sitting here listening right now, and the elders are evaluating, and if I ever do anything, I guarantee you in an elder, elder meeting that, that comes up, Right? 
Same thing with anybody who fills this pulpit because you need to know that what you hear here is the truth and we don't let false teaching go on. It is so incredibly important for the same reason that traffic lights are. And so as I look around Jonesboro and I see all these weird things I don't like, I understand that the reason those things are there is to allow a community of people to grow but also be safe and to be structured and ordered And we in the church do the same thing. The church is to make sure that we've got some stop signs up. But can I tell you something? Most of the bad influence that Timothy's trying to fight has nothing to do with the community of the church today. False teaching is everywhere, y'all, and the songs that you sing on the radio. It's in the books that you might read somewhere. And I have no desire to be a church telling you what books you can read and what books you can't. I have no desire to do any of that. What I do have a desire is to equip you to know where the stop signs are yourself and to put them up for your family and to honor them when you see them. I want us to be a church that equips each other. Hey, we've got to do this in every area of life. It's not okay just to believe anything that sounds good. You've got to have a discerning ear and a discerning eye, and you've got to know what the truth is. So when you come to Valley View, we'll teach the truth in Bible classes. We'll preach the truth from the pulpit. We'll sing the truth in our songs. We'll urge each other to hold on to the confession of faith, Hebrews chapter 10. But we'll tell you that you're going to go out into a world where there's plenty of falsehood available on every TV channel with every preacher you hear and all these stuff and all that stuff. And we're not going to regulate that. We're just going to tell you. Know the truth so you can recognize where you should put the stop signs and then honor them. And we will mature and we will grow together. That is important. What we teach matters our bible classes matter we've grown to kind of think they're kind of an addition they're kind of an option they're kind of like well if you can get there whatever you know just kind of slap them together make sure we got something our bible classes are incredibly important because every one of them's teaching this where's the stop sign go what's the truth because i got to gauge everything else by this so if you're a teacher here thank you for teaching I don't care if it's a two-year-old or a full adult. I don't care what you're teaching. It's important. You are teaching skills that will be used for the rest of life in all of life. It's incredibly important. So Valley View, let's be a people who teach the true doctrine of God, the sound words of Jesus, and the things that pertain to godliness. And let's help each other grow and mature until one day We're all together and there is no false doctrine and we're living with the truth. Jesus among us. Don't let anything keep you from getting there. If you are in need of anything this morning, whether being introduced to this Lord through the waters of baptism, coming into the household of God for the first time and learning to submit to that, know what that truth is, know what those plans are for God, we'd love to help you with that. But if you've done that and you've gone astray, you've swerved, swerve back. And if it requires the help of this congregation, we'd be glad to do that as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.